Digest show, we have a cornucopia of treats for you, notwithstanding some bonus material, we couldn't help but try and come up with some creative ways to give you guys more content, and we thought, what better way than do a sidestep, take a backseat to movies, and talk about some great television. Josh, some one of our favorite shows of all time, our first pick, David Chase's genius creation, the dawn of the television anti-hero, the post-pre-9-11 Middle-class, upper-class America picture. The Sopranos is the first show we're tackling. How we're going to do this, uh, one episode per season. We're going to do kind of a retrospective per season of each show we're going to do throughout this year. And Josh and I just finished up season one of The Sopranos. Woo! Matt on! Matt you know on! I, you know what I did? What's that? I woke up this morning, and I got myself a gun. Okay. I got my son a golf, golf set of golf clubs, but a gun. A gun. Just say it, man. That theme song. It just it gets in there. It gets you in there. You know, that a lot head. of shows at a certain point I skip the intro. I do not skip this one. No, no. <laughs> Give it to I'm me. It. Um man, that yeah, this is I'm I'm excited for this new thing. These these TV apps that we're doing, short, sweet, having fun with it. And like you said, what a what a TV show to start with. Probably one of the if not the best TV show of all time. I mean, there's this a one's got big, a little bit for everybody, you know? There's a few big heavy hitters I'm not as familiar with, but for me, this is the best show I've ever seen in my entire life. Sure, I think I agree. I mean, um, I think definitely, for me, the way I always say it is it's the best non-comedy, like pure comedy, because I believe there's another TV show that is the best comedy, but The Sopranos non-comedy is the best show I think I've ever watched. Well, the best part of it is that it's also fucking hilarious. Yeah, it is. It is. It and is so and emotional and philosophical and it's, yeah, it's, it's got everywhere. something for everybody. It's it something does. for everybody. Yeah. What what do you what do you first remember watching it? Cuz I did wasn't an HBO kid growing up. I saw it in my 20s later in life and this is like the third time I watched it now for the Digest show. So I didn't really it wasn't really on my radar until I was an adult. Sure, well, me either. So the actually let me share the first time that it became it even came onto my radar was when I was working at a sandwich shop in Charlotte, North Carolina. And my manager's name was Vinny Diaco. And my other co-worker's name was Raphael. Yeah. Okay. Uh and they had <laughs> I heard the give me the gabagoo all the time. And I didn't know what it was from. I felt like an idiot. So they explained it to me. Uh fast forward a couple of years uh i watched it probably finished the whole fucking series in i don't know less than a, less than two months there's no doubt in my mind i like pure straight up binge watched it and this was in like 2015 probably oh it was that late I, it was a late one for me yeah man it was because, after you and i had met yeah for sure because i okay, had it was for me too yeah I went into a phase where like I knew I wanted to watch it and I knew it was going to be really good. So I kind of put it on the the side and like just kind of saved it. And then I devoured it and now I'm devouring it again. And 
the fucking the hands are flying and the quotes are flying equally in my house now. You know, it's great. I, I was at a convenience store about an hour ago and some guy looked at me the wrong way. And I may or may not have had a daydream about throwing his ass through the fucking. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember the good old days when you could watch an entire television show in two months and not feel bad about it? Cause your main things in life were pizza and working a, 30 hour a week job. Those are the golden days. Yeah. Yeah. Those are where the golden days. Yeah. Those were the golden let's days. Fo- let's focus back on the show. Yes. Let's if do it. Any, if anything, this show is about a family, that being the Sopranos family. So let's do a little loose Shibuya roll call for a featured segment on this episode. Let's start with, let's beat the fan. Shibuya. Let's start with the show's lead character, Tony Soprano. Meet Tony Soprano. It's a ast- This performance is astonishing. Everybody knows it. What do you, What are you gonna say? But I think that for me, when I start watching it again, the details are what his breathing, how he labors through his breathing and his nose throughout the series. His size gets bigger, and bigger. It's just like the physical, like intensive labor that he brings to it. And again, and the humor, and the innocence, and the wonder. It's uh, it's it's not news to say it's an astonishing feat. No, it's not. And I'll, I'll say um, prior to the first time I watched this show, uh, James Gandolfini was kind of wasn't really on my radar. I'd seen him in a few things and I definitely enjoyed him. Um, but when you watch this show, you get this sense of like, holy cow, this guy. Like, I mean, it, it's one of those times when and we've referenced it for other actors in the show before where they just embody a character so fucking much that you're like they they didn't cast anybody to play tony soprano they just found tony soprano and but but equally though being the special features guy that i am watching some of the interviews in the special features it even more accentuates how impressive he is on screen because his demeanor is just way different when he's not that character when he's just james gandolfini it's interesting though when you do like I don't want to get too tabloidy about it, but the, the production of the show later especially was fraught with starts and stops and drama and it's mostly about him not well, showing he was, up to work. I mean, he was going through a really rough time. I mean, he was going through some shit. Really, but he, yeah. This one story I saw was a Charlie Rose type, and I believe it was exactly a Charlie Rose type interview. Um, not that we can talk about him anymore, but he he's dis- discovered a love of acting when during an acting class, he literally lost his shit and like destroyed a classroom and the teacher was like yes so like he does understand this type of you know hyper masculine intense physical attitude and nature that he brings to the to the role seen in um, obviously in violent altercations with you know hits and things like that but also with his fucking therapist and his yeah. wife and yeah it's a very physical intimidating performance but then he's For in sure. the pool and he's in the pool, waist deep, like wandering over obsessed a flock of ducks. with these ducks. Yes, <laughs> uh, again, yeah, yeah, yeah to- uh, the the absurdity of Tony. Yeah, I mean, but uh, yeah. Speaking of his wife, right? Yeah, let's move the, on to Carm. I think she might be my thirty. I think she might be my one of my favorite. Like top, uh, take Tony out. Obviously, I love Artie Bucco. Like he just has sure. a very. He has a very special place in my heart. But Carm, what a performance. Like, oh, my God. She's amazing. Amazing performance. Um, I also am fond of Carm. Uh, I think 
sometimes I get, I'm like, cause you, you know, Tony's perspective and you're listening to her react to him and you're like, okay, just chill out a little bit. It's not exactly like what you think for real. And it's like, you know, he's trying to tell her something and, and he's like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm just getting my glass ready to throw my wine in your damn face. Like she's ready to go at it. Like she knows any moment that he says, I got to tell you something could be something really fucking bad. I love that reference. There's two other Carmen references as we start to meet these characters in this first season that kind of like paint a picture of how she understands but is reluctant but is understanding of the world she lives in. It's after the assassination attempt midway through this first season. And he's laying in bed and uh, Tony and Carm are having an argument. And he's like, I took a fucking oath, Carm. I can't like take this plea bargain. And she looks at him and she goes, what are you, a kid in a fucking treehouse? Yeah, uh, well, but... And then during the raid scene, when they're cleaning out the house, she is calmly handing oh, him yeah. the guns and the cash she's from the attic. She's a fucking gangster's wife. She fucking is. She's a gangster's wife, and she knows it. And that's one yeah. of the most. That's one of the best parts about Carm's character is how she wrestles with the fact that she is this religious person who wants to do right, but you completely chose a life that you're very, very well aware of, and you know it. You know, and she's dealing with that through the whole show. So that's that's one of the, the fun dynamics with Carm. And and again, you just can't heap enough praise on Edie Falco. I mean, this is a this show is one of those shows that helps define I mean, it's gonna define certain actors for the rest of their lives. You know, and yeah, this no is doubt. one of those for her. But again, she just keeps rolling. You know, she's a killer. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I think the best segue to that to the, the next big strong fe- soprano female character on the show. And that's Mrs. S, because I was thinking you were explaining the world that Carm knows she's in. It she, Carm met resistance from the beginning of their marriage. She talks mm-hmm. about Mrs. Soprano, Olivia Soprano was like, Tony's going to get bored with you. Like, she's this tough, badass, crazy lady. That's Tell her from the get-go, this shit's... Because Liv, the, Liv's knows. not a gangster's wife, Liv's a gangster. And there's a difference, right? Like, it, I'm serious, dude. Come on, Carmela is a gangster's wife. Livia is a fucking gangster. She's, you know, she's got her hand up Junior's ass, talking through his mouth. She's, she knows, and she lived with, with a, you know, a bona fide gangster in his own right, Tony's dad. And well, as they talk about Johnny saint. Boy, well, that's what they say. It's Johnny Boy Soprano. He's like Tony says uh, early in season two. Now he says, you know, all the all the time he he was dead. He was a saint. He could do no wrong. But he when he was alive, he was fucking nothing and he talks about by the time that johnny boy died livia had whittled him down she just destroyed that dude's like conscious and psyche he was this badass street gangster and livia soprano and in this first season she helps orchestrate an assassination hit she feigns a fucking stroke she she's and she's also a source which is a perfect like uh microcosm of what the palette of the show is she is this danger and this evil and this but she's also like probably the funniest character of season one. Yeah, no doubt. And I think also I give I give that character a lot of weight in this because really yeah. the first season of this show to me is it's our protagonist Tony versus three foes. And those three foes are himself first. Mm. Secondly, it's his mother. And third, his uncle. Those that's and and really the overarching story of the first season to set Tony up to be who he's going to be throughout this show 
is him versus Junior. That struggle for the power. Is it good? Should it go to almost like our fucking elections nowadays? Should it go to the older geriatric person because they have the seniority, or should it go to the young, vigorous person because they're, you know, I don't know, energetic and sharp and have good ideas? You know. Well, it kind of shows us the cunning of Tony as a businessman, as a leader, is that he allows Junior to have the title because it's cover for Tony. So Tony can get real control and like he plays money stuff. He like cuts deals with leverage because he's a powerful guy and he knows he can really run the fucking show. And there's an instance where one of Chrissy's, I always call him Chrissy. I'm never going to call him Christopher. One of Chrissy's boys is like, he, he references, uh, um, Jackie April. He's like, once, uh, Jackie April became a chemo sob, we all knew you were the one running the show. And Tony jumps up and throws him out of the the office not only for insulting his friend that he loved but because he's like don't fucking like blow this this is i'm in control of this situation i'm a leader and i know what the fuck i'm doing it's interesting shit it really is and it's it's also one uh i know we're kind of like in roll call but hey you know whatever this is what this is yeah man one of my biggest takes from rewatching this this time is i figured out that 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 advice that he, he where tony got the idea to let junior have that fake sense of control he got it from his consigliere so, which is dr jennifer melfi oh that's, oh that's his consigliere dude like in this oh, season okay. you just like, blew it wide open yeah. dude she she seriously like she advises him on how to handle so many different situations unwittingly because he also comes in there playing this game where he's got to kind of cloak things in different terms and she gives him advice and then he applies it to like his his job his career like his yeah. and it's like it's it's very Tom Hagen of her to help him you settle things diplomatically like give let him have this false sense of control you know it helps him and then he applies it and it works like a charm and then the second she suggests that his mother's the one that did the hit he fucking goes ape shit and almost beats her up and then he winds up apologizing because she and, was right and fixing her car and shit yes exactly so i think we can kind of skip the kids for this first episode because yeah, they're, they're there they're, and they're, they're great aj's yeah. funny and like but they're they're cool to watch grow like yes, throughout the course of the season meadow is gonna grow into a strong character of her own will which she already has but yeah yeah for sure um, let's talk about the crew, Polly Walnuts. Cause I gotta say one thing before you say it, it's another family. It's it, it's the it, other it family. Really is. Story and about it, family, and, and this is the other one. And throughout the seasons, there's different reoccurring characters as people leave or asked to leave or forced to leave. Different like arcs come into play. Sure. But I think I think the ones that we're gonna talk about today are mainstays. Yes. We got show. Polly, we got the official conciliary Sill, we got yes. Christopher Maltasanti. And so far, we got pussy. Yes. What's your friend's name? Booty? Pussy. <laughs> I he don't like your... him. I love, love him. him. Uh, That's for these sure. guys are the greatest, man. Polly is... I just want to be Polly, but apparently I'm Sill. That's been, that's been told to me that I'm, a, I'm, I'm Sill. That's, that's, and I, I've kind of grown into that. I like it. I'm no Tony. I know that. So... I don't. I hope that no one I know is Tony, right? Yeah. Tough uh, Polly, he's like a former Army Ranger. He's done time in the can. He's another source of comedy. He's just a classic. He's an old school guy. Definitely a Johnny Boy Junior back in the day. 
Um, he's just kind of an old school mainstay. You could tell he's probably could win a pull up uh, competition like right now. Uh, yeah, and he would. He's gonna knock your ass out if you fight him. He's yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. He's a, that's bona fide. He's, he's got a frame gray, gray the gray oh. wings. Ugh. The Ugh. aesthetic. Still, yeah, let's yeah. talk about the aesthetic and that great wig that he wears on the owner, show. Owner of the Bada Bing, okay? Bada owner Bing. Of the Bing, okay? What is he, when uh, Chris is going on about, this is Scarface final scene, and it cuts to them at Bada Bing talking about it, he goes, the kid with the scenarios. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's the pragmatic one. He's there he to like, give counsel, and Chris is there like going through puberty at 25 and so I was like, this kid with the scenarios again and again. I no, love his role. And he it. tried to tell him, too, now's not the time. Now's not the time to be going on about this. This is just yeah. like a two. Yeah, they're just but, all about But that's Chrissy, though, right? Like, we're talking, that's part of, Chrissy's part of the crew. That's Chrissy. Chrissy is, he's ambitious. He wants to be somebody. He's, you know, he's mad when the newspapers leave his name out but he's then, reckless and he's unpragmatic he and he's over emotional and, and he's also and a drug addict he is a bit of a drug addict yes this is true which so out of all those characters we come to love most of them and we do love to come chris as well but nobody quite has the arc that chris does and so to meet him in this first season he's he's like a son to tony you know um, so his dynamic character, you get frustrated with him because you'll love him like you love everybody else, but he's the one that's going to make the most dramatic mistakes. He's kind of like the Sonny of the gang. Like he's very uh, from the hip. He's emotional. He's got a temper and he's got a long way to fucking go. Um, so it's interesting to meet him in this first season. He does. And it's, uh, it's, it is funny that you said his, his character has a lot of arc because he, his character wants his characters to have arc. <laughs> <laughs> the scenes he's like what do you yeah if you go into it coldly like not knowing what's going on and they they do these like roundabout scenes from behind the computer and he's like smoking his marble reds and you think it's gonna come around and he's gonna be working on like this moment and it says like something spelled wrong and it's one line of dialogue <laughs> oh oh goodness i know i know but that character goes on. That actor, Michael Imperioli, he goes on to direct like many episodes. Oh. Right? He's a talented yeah. guy. He is, and I, he's also got this like it, um, around like 2010 ish. He had this look going on that I'm kind of going for in my like late 30s. Oh. But I want to go for the long hair and the the mustache. It's gonna okay. Be oh, he's got the ponytail. Didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had it going for a while. Um, and like then, it. but then there's uh, pussy, right? You know. Mr. Salvatore, you know. Yeah. There's an awkward pause there because if you if you if you haven't watched the show, we'll keep mum. If you have, you know what we're tiptoeing around. Basically, this season, pussy disappears, and Tony doesn't know what happened. No one knows what happens. But this this is kind of this season's also a tale of two rats. Yeah, I mean, this being in a tight, uh, high intensity world like this, it's a world of of trust and that trust it, you know you love these people they're your family but like the second you gotta be looking out and and pussy talks about being tight on money all the time he's talking about other ventures he's getting pushed back for going into it and there's a reason you don't do that is because that's how the feds go after you that's how you get right. compromised that's right and, and this and this show does such a good job of building up tension 
playing with your expectations and endearing you to characters so that whatever happens to them, it fucking pulls your, your gut strings out. And this, this season, as far as pussy goes, it's masterfully done of setting up tension and, and possibilities and make you wonder what's going to happen. Absolutely agreed. I think um, I really want to talk to you about what the show is saying about Italian Americans. And I think that's a good segue from talking about the two kind of families that we're dealing with on this show. Um, in pre-conversations we've had, you've summed it up perfectly and beautifully. Um, these people believe they're like in a culture, they're soldiers in a culture war. They do. They do. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, you know, they, they're taking an oath that's old, you know, like thousands generations. of years. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a, yeah. It's the, this thing has been happening for a long time and they do. And they like, there's a moment uh deal goes bad and tony's there with uh i think it's chris and paulie and they're trying to break a um a jewish guy to get portion of a hotel and the jew and and they're kind of one of them is poking fun at him for his culture and the guy rightfully so is defending himself and saying hey you know you make fun of my culture but look at my culture you know we've been here on this earth since history and we're we've we're we've persevered and we're still here where where are your where are the romans where are the Romans? And, and Tony right looks fucking at here, him. motherfucker. You're, you're looking at them. You're right looking fucking at here. Them. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it's that. It's They think of themselves that way as the, the, the great Roman Empire. And they fight that way, you know? But, but something that you said, though, which is the juxtaposition here, is like you said that this show does a really good job of, making, of, of endearing you to the characters. It's because they put this, this mafia, La Costa Nostra shit through the lens of showing up with pizza and a six pack of Coke and sitting down on the living room floor and playing the video game with your son. And, and it's like, in turn of the century in Erica. Yeah. And it's a very, it's very family oriented. Like pussy, for example, is in trouble because he's trying to pay for his kids to have to go to like these fucking kids go to like good schools and that shit costs a lot of money. And he's like trying to, you know, and they, that's what, that's the crazy thing about the show is it puts all of that, hard-nosed mafia stuff through the lens of like family like not the not the family but the the like household family you know and yeah. that's the cool part and and the fact that the soprano family in general like they they're eating fine oh fuck dude and like and their God, kids dude. are fucking spoiled fucking rotten rotten so Tony is this like badass gangster guy and he comes home and his wife knows he's got a gumar and he's seeing a psychiatrist and then his kids like talking back to him, and his daughter's like outmaneuvering him in a grounding situation. It's like, it's like a gangster show, but it's a sitcom, and it's exactly a soap soap opera, but it's a family show, and it's like, yeah, it's yeah. And therein lies one of the beautiful that one of the most beautiful things about the show is it is like it is like a sitcom, unlike any other hour long drama that you would typically watch this one feels more sitcom-y because it's put through the lens that sitcoms are normal like around the kitchen table shit that doesn't happen in your top tier you know cable network or paid subscription network hour long dramas that shit just doesn't happen really you know it's and it's recurring constantly and that's that's what's so great about it. and that's why I love this show is me that. too I can weirdly identify with these people on some level. Fuck and it's yes. Just strange. Yes, yeah. you can. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's so it's really cool in this first season to meet these people to get the basis of these storylines. There's stuff that's introduced in this season with some of the characters we've talked about. Like Christopher has a big arc. 
which now I can't stop laughing at whenever I say it out loud. Um, how his family changes as kids become adults. This relationship with Carm is a beautiful thing to watch. But this first season is is the introduction and um, kind is. of what we talked we've kind of how we've talked about of their place in in America and how they take it fucking really seriously. Um, but I, one of my favorite moments is the college episode when Meadow confronts him and asks him if he's in the mafia as they're doing a tour of like fucking Ivy league schools. Yeah. Yeah. That's then, a really good episode. That, that one speaks very much to what we're talking about, what we were just talking about that lens that they put again. This is like, this is like the fucking boss of a crime family that literally like kills people, beats them up, extorts them all on the trip that we're talking about. He does. Yes. That. But he's taking his like he's taking his daughter to tour. Like, I was watching an episode the other night, and I was talking to Victoria. I was like, one of the things that bother me about Carm is she's always ragging on Tony for being a bad father. Like, you're a bad father. And I'm like, I looked. I'm like, Tony is a better father than like a great percentage of fathers that are the ones that are even present in their kid's life. Tony is like he apologizes to his children in this show like fathers a lot of fathers don't do that shit you know so that's one thing for sure um one of my other favorite scenes is uh when they're using what's kind of it's put out in like a um a scene where it's it's like a montage scene through the old folks home where they kind of show you how they've used the old folks home as a base and then it's juxtaposed later where they show that it's bugged and it's like this it's like a like a casino by casino. I mean the movie. Yeah. It's like a casino montage with like this badass rock music playing, but it's at an old folks' home, and they're like hiding guns and shit. And it's just yeah. again, it's again an example of the world being put into twenty first century upper class middle middle America, and it's uh, just a, another good example of that. To well, me. I think it's funny that you bring up casino because I think this this show is littered with allusions to other oh, yeah. mafia stories and and i mean first i mean first off it's you've got actors that were in goodfellas and in godfather that are in this show so yeah. like that helps bring just a visual sense of you know credulity to it all um but but no like i really think that that's that's absolutely true is is there are lots of allusions to other things that that kind of make it feel warm and 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 recognizable to you which makes this that, that kind of helps give this show its magnetism, if you will. Yeah, it's endearing qualities for sure. Yeah. And I mean, can, uh, if I can say one thing that I really love is like the dreams, the, the yeah. like the use of which dreams. We're gonna, which will become way more prevalent in later seasons. But yeah, it's at first, it's one of the first times I can remember watching a television chronologically, like from that time where I'm like, wait a second, what am I watching? Yes. Yes. And I love the way, like the my favorite one is when Chrissy gets haunted by the guy that he kills, and they do this great shot where it's like the camera is on a roller and it's panning, it's on a track, and then they've put Chris on the platform track too, so it's like he's just floating through the room in front of the camera, and it's just this great shot. It's It's, just it's very realistic. My favorite like single shot. I think there's two dream sequences in the. the in Melfi's office, um, yeah, mm-hmm. and by this, just a quick shot of uh, I think it's Junior because he and he like he's on a, another tracking sort of thing in the window. It's super creepy. Mm-hmm. You just see him roll through the window. It's just very yeah. realistic to me. We didn't we didn't really talk about Melfi. You want to touch on her before we? Yeah, I think we. I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think yeah. 
So the first time I watched this show, I missed like a lot of the humor. I just didn't get because I had heard so much about the show. Great show of all time. So you go into it with this like seriousness, right? And it's about the mob and I'm a fucking huge fan of mob movies. So you go into it with like a sense of seriousness. And I watched it the first time that way. Second time through the humor really is getting there because just the premise of the fact that you have this like eventual mob boss who is literally like going to therapy and like talking through his like family issues and then his like crime family issues and like just all it's just just that in and of itself is fucking hilarious like and and it's the way it's done is so good and i think also that that melfi provides a lot of that like when i said it gets philosophical like that kind of analysis that she's giving to this member of a crime family really they start covering a lot of like moral stuff that gets you as an individual thinking like what where do i stand on this like is this wrong is this wrong okay that's wrong for sure but is this really wrong i mean they kind of got to get a reason you know it just gets you in your headspace which i enjoy yeah i think it's really a cool choice that they she has her own storylines outside of tony yes and like the detective vin um mccasian who's just a complete drunk and dirtbag and dick there's like that's a reoccurring thing throughout the show where there's like two or three characters throughout the season that um that are like that they're thorn and tony's side that are that are gambling that are but like she he pulls over melfi and her date and like beats the shit out of the guy and he's obviously wasted and i also think it's really important it's obvious that melfi's italian what part of the boot are you from hun mm-hmm. my mom would have loved it if you and me got together mm-hmm. like it's intentional that she's she's an italian american and yeah, and, and then the other thing is, like, you look into the actors who were in the show, who were cast in the show. I touched on Artie Bucco. Artie Bucco is a first-generation, the actor is a first-generation American. His parents are Sicilian immigrants. He play, He's from North Jersey. He played football in one of the high schools referenced on the show. And the second season, Furio is a first-generation American. He's from North Jersey. Like, they went yeah. and got these people that you believe them when they're talking about these places. And, Absolutely. And, and it's what makes it that much more beautiful and endearing, you know? Absolutely. Agreed. The, the show feels real. It absolutely feels real. Yeah. yeah. What are some of your other favorite scenes? Um, I got three more. Three more classic ones from this first season. I mean, I think... It's, it's hard for me to just go by, like, favorite scenes. I mean, I don't know, like... Some, so I will give you someone like my favorite. I love Polly. Polly cracks me the fuck up. And there's one line in particular. Every fucking time I hear it, it just kills me. And they're talking about Big Pussy and how he's got this back injury. And Polly's taking him to his doctor and he's telling Tony, like, you know, this doctor, he's you got to trust this doctor. He's he's like, he tells Tony that he's the Jonas Salk of backs. You know, like he's just. <laughs> And it just every fucking time I just crack up That's so the, hard. Is that the polio vaccine guy? Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's like it's the total soccer backs. And it's like you got and he says there's nothing wrong, but he also said nobody fucking has a clue with the back. It there's just a, kills me. Yeah. The 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 one liners and references on this show, like I get most of them whatever but like I love reading about towns they reference in Italy and stuff like that. You look up. It's a very like self aware show. Um there's two other cla- like a ton of the show is littered with uh, you know all time great moments, but 
Um, first, though, a personal favorite that kind of touches on the cultural thing, the Italian-American thing, is is the espresso scene with Polly. Okay. And he's like, so many things piss me off about what they take from our culture, but this one is the fucking worst. Yep. Like, look at this shit. This it really like, gets under his hum- skin. This fucking homogenized, like, preppy bullshit. This is our shit. And then he, like, steals an uh, French press and, like, walks out. <laughs> Which in itself is kind of ironic, I guess. But the French press, I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then the other two scenes um, that I think are really important. The first one is um, "Take Your Hat Off" that Tony has to the young man. Uh, yeah. He tells the guy to take his hat off. It shows that Tony, you know, obviously isn't afraid of confrontation and will fuck people up, but that this man has principles. Yeah. And when you're in the restaurant, you take your fucking hat off. Take and then he sends him a bottle of wine. Yep. Yep. Um, and then the last one for me, is uh, in the height of the feud between uh, Corrado and Tony. He says, uh, cunnilingus and psychiatry brought us to this. <laughs> so it gets out that Tony is seeing a female psychiatrist, and then a rumor, a true rumor is spread that uh, Corrado performs oral sex on his girlfriend, which is in, in the Italian, you know, Catholic uh, world that's, like, seen as not very masculine, and you just don't do it. Uh, but, yeah, cunnilingus and psychiatry brought us to this. Just great shit. Great shit. Yep. You, I did think of one other one. Um, I love the storyline with Chris when he when he whacks the the Polish guy to kind of take the initiative, and he's getting haunted by him, and he comes to him in his dreams, and then Chris is like, "I gotta move the body," so he takes the dumbass bartender out there, and they're like digging around for him, and the the and Chrissy takes him to the spot where he buried him, and the bartender is like digging around, and he hits a body, he opens the bag looks at the face and looks up at Chris and he's like, is this him? And Chris just looks and he's like, that would be some fucking luck, right? Like, <laughs> of course that's fucking him. And then like, then Chris like looks at him. He's like, do you see that shit? He was clean shaven when I killed him and now he's got a beard. And he's like, You're and I love the like way they put that like real life scenario for like a wise guy in the mafia. And you're like watching this intimate moment in his life. Like this is just his life. You know? Yeah. So, you see that shit? Like that's something you'd say if like anything else happened, but it's a dead right? guy. You I know. God, I know. But this just show, I don't know. I just love this show. And like I said, like the quotes and the, the hand gestures are flying the fuck around in my house, like left and right. Cause we're so we're, we're hundred percent in this love great it. show. Go. Well, it's a great first season. I think I'm excited to get more in depth with it, but laying it out, what the show's all about, what our characters are concerned with. And we got a power struggle between uncle and, and nephew in our midst. Um, yeah. Shit's getting real. We hope you guys enjoyed this first season recap we're gonna play with it we're gonna make it better send us a message your favorite soprano moments let's know let's let's have a conversation everybody that's what we're all about joshua anything left for today i got nothing my friend this is this is fun let's do it thank you david chase thank you james gandolfini Uh, we'll see you season two everybody Woo.